Now bless the God of Israel, for when God is a child, none shall be afraid. In this season of Advent, we do come together to gather around a candle bright and a spirit that is emerging anew in our lives and around the words of Scripture by which God can open our hearts and prepare us uh, for Christ's coming uh, yet again. Advent is an interesting season because we say we know what the end of the story is. But we're also told to wait. It's hard to know how you wait for what you know is coming, right? It is hard to wait. Anyway, I think Heidi's right. I'm not big on uh, waiting. Uh, Some of you may know the uh, little prayer about uh, waiting and patience. And the prayer goes like this. Lord, give me patience, period. And hurry up, period. Amen, right? Well, no, it's not that kind of season, but it is actually. We are looking expectantly. We're not, it's not a passive waiting. Now, interestingly enough, the lectionary, that cycle of readings uh, through the scriptures, uh, begins the season of Advent with a story that comes from Mark's gospel near the end of Jesus' life. This is not unusual because the beginning and the end are really part of one narrative, of course. And in the expectation about the end of times that Jesus is talking about in this passage, we see hints of that, the advent of a new age. Advent means the coming of a new reality, the advent of a new perception or consciousness or understanding, the advent of a new reality of God's presence which reshapes our thinking and shapes our consciousness to prepare for a different way of being. So near the end of uh, Mark's gospel, here they are in the 13th chapter. Uh, They had entered the city of Jerusalem in earlier days and the triumphal entry of Jesus at Palm Sunday, we call it, and then teaching in the courts of the temple throughout the week, the growing sense of crisis and conflict that's unfolding in Jesus' life. And then they retire across um, the Kidron Valley to the mount on which Bethany sits. And there they are engaged in a dialogue, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, about the nature of what's happening. And these four disciples asked Jesus in the early part of the chapter, well, does this sign mean that? And does another sign of what's happening mean another thing? They live in expectation of what had come to be known as an apocalypse, that is to say, a revelation. In the period of the advent of the New Testament, what we call the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was not a time of quietness. In fact, it was a time of deep questioning as Israel faced so many different realities which formed an impediment in their relationship with God. First, the Babylonians conquered them and ruled over them. Then Persia rose up, conquered Babylon, and sent the people home, and yet Persia ruled over Israel. And then they were followed, of course, by Alexander and the rule of the Greeks. And then after Alexander and the Greeks came the Romans. And so this poor people, tossed and thrown between one empire and another, are struggling and In that sense of conflict, they think that eventually God will come to them somehow in a miraculous uh, presence, 
uh, to vanquish the foes and establish the reign of God on earth once again. And they looked a lot uh, to the book of the prophet Daniel and a particular uh, passage in which Daniel talked about a son of man who would come down out of heaven on a cloud accompanied by God's angels to establish God's reign on earth. Jesus, of course, loved to refer to himself in the third person as the Son of Man. In doing so, he aligns himself with that orientation of Daniel, expecting some kind of cataclysmic end. But Jesus in this chapter wants to reassure these disciples not to look for the false signs, but to look more deeply into the inner reality of God working in their lives. Human beings have been predicting the end of the world for millennia, thousands and thousands of years. So many different predictions, none of which have come to pass, of course. My uh, dear friend, the Reverend Todd Shipley, who is the pastor at the Unity Hill United Church of Christ in Trumbull, um, used to have a bumper sticker on his car, and it said, you, you may not know this, but most of the theology that I know I learned from bumper stickers. That's about what I can comprehend and keep in my mind. But the bumper sticker said, the end is near, period. Again, period. The end is near, Ah, again. All the predictions come to naught because I think there's a deeper reality in which how God is coming to us in our own day. So from Matthew's Gospel in the 13th chapter, starting at verse 24. But in those days, this is Jesus speaking. The whole passage is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Jesus said, in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and to the ends of heaven. Now he moves into a second image. First, this cosmic unfolding of the stars falling from the heavens and the Son of Man emerging. Now he moves to a more homely image. Jesus continued, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is a common refrain in Jesus' ministry when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's at the gates. It's right here, it's emerging, it's present. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can experience it here and now. It's not something to be held for the life hereafter and the by and by, but it is a present unfolding reality 
in our daily living. We know this just as the fig tree, when its leaves begin to come, so the figs will soon come after. But then, verse 32, Jesus continued, But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware. Keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. The time, the Greek word is kairos, the right time, the time that is fulfilled, the time that is complete, the time that is overflowing, the time that is pregnant and ready to issue forth. For you do not know when this time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. You will remember the parables we read several weeks ago. The parable going, going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his slaves in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Now, therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, at cockcrow, or at the dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Amen. The wag might suggest that this injunction to keep awake is written for the people in the pews at the start of a sermon. Not so. It is the deep reality of remaining conscious and being ready to perceive and understand a new reality that's emerging in our lives in this time. This is a season of hope, as Paul and Maria said as we lit the candle. Hope is not... um, optimism. Hope is trust in the unfolding reality, the presence, the providence, the purposes of God. We live in hope because we believe that God is coming to us in all times. As we say, uh, never put a period uh, where God has put a comma. Let God's voice continue to speak to us and unfold in our presence. We live in a time that seems to be unlike any other time. We've never seen this before, you hear a lot in these days, particularly in 2020. It's been a hard year, a terrible year, suffering for so many people. And many people say things will never be the same again. And in a very real way, that's true. And in a very real way, that's good that things will not be as they were before because the images that with which we live have been, in, in a sense, largely exposed as false and feeble and frail, calling us into a different reality. The the crisis of the pandemic and the economic reality and the unfolding understanding of racial injustice, which lies at the heart of our body politic and of our economic systems, which weigh heavy, very heavy, heavily indeed, upon the least among us and reward in inordinate measure those who are at the top calling into question what was and 
what shall be. So it's a time very much like that of Jesus, when there seems to be a very real dichotomy between good and evil. And a time of pessimism, when it seems as though nothing can become worse. And also a time in which we live with a sense of the imminent unfolding of God's life in our lives, the imminent return of Christ. The early Christians did believe that Christ would come again. Many of them, Paul certainly, and others believed that Christ would come again in their lifetime. In the Gospel of John, Mark, rather, is the oldest of the Gospels and yet reflects that, that thinking with the promise that Christ will come again. How is God in Christ coming to us again. There are two ways to think about the arrival of the Messiah. As an historic figure like Jesus, or as the idea or the fulfillment of the life of Jesus, the ministry that he entrusted to us, the teachings that he gave to us, the power that he imbues in us by living in us and for us and between us in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, we say, the church, and Christ is our head. So in that very real sense, I think Christ is coming again in the life of Christians, you and I and people around the world who follow Jesus, so that the love of God through Christ may be known through us. But that means we have an incredible responsibility We are not the recipients of some particular blessing, but rather we are the the stewards of an incredible responsibility to call into question those things which have drawn us away from God, to reflect on those images and issues and purposes to which we have dedicated ourselves, which are not the fulfillment of God's vision of justice and of peace, but rather a perversion of those, often for our own enjoyment. So if the end is near, again, I do think that we need to take responsibility not to wait for the Messiah to come, but rather to repair the world so that it is ready to receive the Messiah, a place where the Messiah would love to be, a place of justice and of peace. Many of you uh, remember Lawrence Ferlinghetti, uh, important uh, poet of uh, the 20th century in America. I'd like to share a a few words um, from his poem, Christ Climbed Down. Ferlinghetti here reflects on the tension between the already accomplished, that is to say Christ has been born. This is the proclamation that we will make on Christmas. Christ has been born. The reality, which is the foundation upon which our entire faith is built, the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus. And yet, the dream of God for humanity is not yet fulfilled. The already accomplished, the not yet fulfilled. We live in that space, that little slice of time which is entrusted to us between the already 
and the not yet and seek to draw them ever closer so that, in fact, they might meet. Which to me would seem to be the true second coming. From Ferlin Getty. Christ climbed down from his bare tree this year and ran away to where there were no rootless Christmas trees hung with candy canes and breakable stars, ran away to where there were no gilded Christmas trees, no tinsel Christmas trees, tinfoil, pink plastic, golden Christmas trees, no powder blue, with electric candles encircled by tin electric trains and clever cornball relatives. He has a very trenchant view, doesn't he? (laughs) Christ climbed down from his bare tree this year and ran away to where no fat, handshaking stranger in a red flannel suit and a fake white beard went around passing himself off as some sort of North Pole saint. Christ climbed down, not to where Bing Crosby carolers, and I'm a Bing Crosby fan myself, no Bing Crosby carolers groaned of a tight Christmas and no Radio City angels ice skated wingless through a winter wonderland in a jingle bell heaven. No, Christ climbed down from his bare tree this year and stole softly away into some anonymous Mary's womb again. Where in the darkest night of everybody's anonymous soul, he waits again, an unimaginable and impossibly immaculate reconception. The very craziest of second comings. Amen.